Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Hospitality TV. I'm your host, Rafael Peterson. If this is your first time tuning in, first of all, thank you for joining us. This is a show that was created for everybody in the hospitality industry that's connected to it one way or another. The goal here is to interview leaders that have done things in the industry, that have already proven themselves uh, amongst the community and their peers. And the goal here is to extract useful bits of information, best practices, kind of just get some things from their experiences so that we can all be better at what we do and hopefully achieve our goals. So. Thank you for joining once again. Just do me one favor if this show provides you any value whatsoever, please share the show. That's the only way that we grow. Um, if it is valuable to you or to someone that you think you know that might be valuable for, please share it. You can share it on your stories. You can subscribe to the channel. Anything you can do to help share the show it would be greatly appreciated. We put a lot of time and effort into make these things happen. So, That being said, our guest today, Cesar Sandoval. How are you doing, man? Good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Good. This is, I feel like, a long time in the making. Yeah. The two whitest Latinos <laughs> here in San Diego. <laughs> you stole it from me, man. I was going to say that for sure. 100% of the two whitest Latinos you're ever going to meet in San Diego have converged into, into one place. Um, where are you from? Well, I was born in El Paso, Texas, so I'm okay. Tejano at heart. Okay. Uh, but my family is from Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua. Chihuahua. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm first generation Mexican American, and I'm first generation born in the United States. So it's pretty cool to to be here and represent. You know, my mom and my two sisters. I come from from a, a family of uh, strong females and hustlers. And uh, yeah, my mom decided to come on a whim to San Diego, and I'm so grateful for it. Did you ever live down there? I did not. So I, my mom came when I was about six, six, seven months of age. Okay. So I'm, I'm basically San Diego at heart. I was raised here. Gotcha. I was born in El Paso, but yeah. So very cool. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to jump around a little bit because normally I do like the whole background story and like little superhero, you know, three <laughs> second, how'd yeah, you turn yeah. into, into who you are now. But honestly, I was looking you up and, and I was hearing a couple recent podcasts that you've done, and, and to be honest, I don't, I don't want to butcher what your current role and scope of that role is right now, because you've been growing so much. So if you wouldn't mind just telling us kind of what it is that you're doing right now yeah, and the scope of that role. And don't worry, it, it changes all the time. I, so. I know, I, I was like, look, it's hard to keep up with your Instagram. I'm like, oh my God, he keeps on, like, you know, from brand ambassador to a couple different things to now national ambassador and, yeah. and then actually building teams, which I didn't know you were doing that too. So there's, there's a lot I want to unpack, but please. Yeah, guys. definitely. Well, the short answer is I'm the national portfolio ambassador for Casa Lumbre Spirits. Mm -hmm. Casa Lumbre Spirits is a Mexican family owned company um, that is an incubator and an innovator. So we create brands from scratch. That's bottle, story, liquid. I mean, everything 360. And what's what I say gets to its teenage years or it's to popularity and kind of goes off to college. We then, you know, partner with with bigger brands or we sell a portion of that brand. And that's how it continues. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. But um, but yeah, that's that's my official role. So I take care of what, what is it now? Uh, like seven brands. Wow. Um, and I have a, a team under me and I, you know, our, our fearless leader, uh, Camille Austin, AKA La Loba, uh, she's our director of advocacy. So working closely with her and um, yeah, man, just trying to spread, you know, education, um, the Latino, our, our full team of ambassadors are all Latinos, which is really cool. amazing. Um, and just kind of have that Mexican Latino identity kind of showcasing what, what Mexican spirits are all about. It's more than just, you know, tequila and mezcal, there's so much out there, so. Yeah, um, that's super cool, man, congrats. I, I would love to 
I was kidding with my boss that I'm going to Peru actually end of the year and I'm like you gotta I'm gonna go check out the area where they do Pisco we gotta bring in some Pisco because I'd love to kind of dip in a little bit of that yeah obviously it's where I grew up also I'm half Peruvian and and I went to high school and a couple years of college in Lima so that would be super cool super close to home so that's dope man that's awesome that you get to do something that resonates with your heritage and obviously very close to home and what role did you come into Casa Lumbre? So the role was national ambassador for Abasolo Ancestral Corn Whiskey and yeah. Mixta Licor de Lote. Two products from Estado de Mexico. Speaking of Peru, you know, they use choclo mm-hmm. and, and that maize. We use uh, a very, very similar DNA-wise called cacabacinte, this corn, this ancestral corn. So a lot of people don't know that all corn that exists in the world comes from Mexico. And um, so, yeah, basically I was I representing El Whiskey de Mexico. Mm-hmm. And it's this cacabacinte corn ancestral, non-GMO, all these beautiful things. And it's the first whiskey or first product ever to use this process called nixtamalización, which is that same process we use to make tamales, tortillas, to make masa, essentially. Okay. So we did that, and that was my first role, and that was our first baby in the United States. It was those two brands, and little by little, we started adding Those were the first two brands in the portfolio. Yeah, correct, in the United States, yeah. So we we created other brands like Montelobo, Sancho Reyes, and and Milagro Tequila, way back in the day. Sancho Reyes, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you sold that off. Yeah, exactly. So same master distiller, Dr. Ivan Saldana, um, and um, and so that's that you could see the progression, right? Mm-hmm. So like, oh, now it's you know something else, or now it's Campari, or people are knowing it. But those are those brands that we develop um, from scratch. And so Abasolo Nixta was my first baby, uh, or babies, I should say, and um, and started there. And then for a couple of years, we started adding more more broad, more products, more brands, more ambassadors uh, that were joining the team, which are awesome. And then eventually the role came naturally to kind of oversee all of them in a portfolio sort of way and kind of grow that Casa Lumbre spirit as a brand yep. instead of an individual brand. So Congratulations. Thank you, man. That's yeah, awesome. Super excited. How many are you across the nation? Are you in how many states are you in? Well, we're in, that's a, all United States. I mean, I think we're up to, I don't know, like 41 states. Oh, or my something God. Like that. okay. So it's so it's it's growing. Uh, Mexico. All our brands are in Mexico as well. I think that's one thing that we see with brands that are all United States. Yep. We don't sell in Mexico. So all our brands always launch in Mexico. And uh, and then we're in other parts of Europe, uh, you know, Australia and gotcha. Asia. So yeah, we're we're kind of little by little growing. And how many brand ambassadors are working with you, with the team? Yeah, the so teams? we have Camille, uh, which is our director of advocacy. Uh, myself, Johnny Ramos, Adele Martinez. Let's see, Ashley. So one, two, three, four, five. Scami, uh, Ruiz, and Nino. So I guess that's. Six of us, if I did my math right. Or so six of you are covering 41 states. Well, there's different roles. So that's, that's. I mean, yes, essentially yes. Uh-huh. But basically we, we have a team. So the way it works is we are the advocacy team. There's another bucket, if you want to, if you will, if you can consider it sort of like a tripod is commercial, advocacy and marketing. And all three have to work together in mm-hmm. order to, for the greater goal. So not one is stronger than the other. Um, but as far as in the advocacy team, those are the ambassadors uh, we have underneath us. And they're all based in different cities. So we have here in California, we have Miami, we have New York, we have Texas. And so uh, there's three national ambassadors, me, Kami, and Nino. 
and then there's regional ambassadors. And so what we're trying to do is kind of hyper-focus in those areas to kind of be a little bit more strategic and not have everyone travel everywhere. Yeah. You know. Oh, God, I love it. Yeah. So I'm also going to ask just a lot of questions here please, from a very please. selfish standpoint because, yeah. you know, I recently moved to sales as well. I've been on the front-facing side of the hospitality industry for, I mean, t- about 20 years, honestly. Like now in... 2023, I guess, would be my 20-year anniversary, my first restaurant job. Cheers. Cheers to that. Congrats. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you. First restaurant job was in 2003. That's crazy. Yeah, man. So, yeah, man, 20 years. It's been a very long time. But within the last couple of years, I started working with a wine importer, and we direct import, and then we self-distribute as well. So, So I think there's a lot of, you know, questions. I'm just very, I'm glad that we're having this conversation because there's so many interesting things. I want to break down a couple of things. I'd love to... um, kind of pick your brain on and this might be a loaded question so work with me here but how do you best develop and promote a new brand in a territory whether it's in a state or the country or maybe you can talk about both how do you do that successfully I mean man and have you had have you guys had products that have not been so successful and you've kind of moved on because I think the reason I asked that the reason I throw that in there is I think there's a lot of learnings from the things that didn't go right right yeah for sure yeah well I think I mean the simplest answer is that there's not a one size fits all Mm -hmm. number one wine to liquor to beer they all they all kind of are different and same with our brands all our brands are not one fit size fits all so there are brands that are you know more that are more education forward you know heftier um working with trade or more like industry what we call that there's more of a consumer brand that's a little bit more party easy going and obviously i'm not going to name any brands but there's not a one size fits all mm-hmm. i think some of the things that we have learned is exactly that that it's not one size fits all just because this brand worked and crushed it in two months doesn't mean the next one is going to go right you know we can look at it sort of like music just because you had one hit single doesn't mean your rest of your album or the rest of your records are going to go so you still have to work at it you still have to constantly adapt and change with with the times and the people what they're tasting what they're what they're enjoying at the time so i think long story short is good marketing good bottle design good liquid at the end of the day if the product is not good right i mean that's for us and again maybe for consumers that are drinking something that is not so good maybe that's the reason why you're making that brand is for the college students that are just you know trying to get a buzz on or or whatever so again there's not a one-size-fits-all um one of the things that i've i've realized is education getting the product out there now you know what is your focus? And I think that's one of the questions you need to ask your boss or your leaders is saying, what is our ultimate goal? And it can be a short answer of, we wanna be everywhere all at once or whatever that may be. There has to be a very strategic plan. So I think planning is one of them, development, having these plans of Q1, Q2, Q3, right? The, 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 the months in the year, uh, the quarters in the year, and knowing that there is this development of growth and it might take you usually brands don't make money until the third year or after. I mean, that's just Mm. math. So do you have money to sustain those brands? Because you're going to be losing, not losing, but investing, and you are not going to be making profit overnight. And so is there this concept of instant gratification that it's just going to take off because that's not realistic? It it takes time to develop, just like anything else, just like your skills or mine. Um, so yeah, I think it's getting product to people to taste, consumer sampled or trade sampled, making sure you're out there having people taste it, give you, you know, honest feedback and constant feedback. 
Um, pushing education is one of them. And then you have people like your marketing team that need to be out there with the social, the Instagram, the website, making sure everything e-commerce, you yeah. know, is up and running. Right. And then you have your commercial team, your sales force, your sales rep or whatever that may be that are out there as well, hustling and getting, you know, maybe the bigger fish that you, you Rafa, are so well connected in the industry. You're going to tackle those industry people that know you, that icebreaker's already gone. Right. I'm going to support you because of you, even if the product isn't as great. I like you as a person, so I'm going to, I'm going to buy it and bring it into my restaurant or bar and then you have the commercial team working with distributors so it's a whole team effort uh and with that being said it's constant communication and constant feedback talk to me a little bit about that interaction that you have from your side of being a brand ambassador for the product and then working with the direct sales team i guess right which would be the distribution because you're not taking orders people aren't calling you hey i need six more cases of this or Right, you are, like you said, you're more, I would say, more on the advocacy side, right? And then you're working with a team of a certain distribution team. How do you guys interact with them? What are some of the goals that you set for them? How do you make sure that they're hitting those goals or they're not? Where, you know, are you looking at weaker markets? Who needs the help to kind of up the market over here? Like, talk to me a little bit about that interaction and, and. how to get the best out of both worlds, right? Because I think that we both know a lot of people who are on both sides, right? right. We, we make, uh, eventually you make friends with the people that are in distribution and sales, because we can talk about that too. That's a very important thing to have a good relationship yeah. with these people, man. They're doing another job just like we are. And then people who are working more on the brand side. So obviously you want to have a good relationship there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have uh, monthly calls with the full team, like full on, knowing what's going on, where are we statistically in numbers and depletions and financials and all that good stuff. So and you guys bring that information to the table? Well, there's other people that bring it to the table. So there's, you know, our vice president or our senior, you know, yeah. a couple other people that bring sort of But on your down. side, you're like, you guys are covering the analytics and then like, this well, is well advocacy covers the analytics of what's happening in bars, restaurants, many placement, like sort of thing. We work directly with like commercial, we're bringing that information, but yep. we do have a financial team an analytical team, I should say, that has the actual data. Because I can tell you, ah, Rafa said that he's going to bring in 30 cases tomorrow. And I don't speak to you in a while. And then, well, they never ordered. I'm like, dude, Rafa, what happened? And you're like, well, sorry, man, I got busy or whatever. Right, so right. they had the actual numbers. Gotcha. Um, and so we had this communication of where are we? Where do we stand? What do we need to do? And what do we need to push? Now, if one product is skyrocketing selling, why? And is it price? Is it flavor? Is it that it's just connecting and resonating with people more? How can we do that with the other brands? Or do we even connect them with with a different brand? Can you connect, let's say, mezcal with whiskey? Maybe you can't. I don't know. You see sort of patterns in, in growth. Um, so I guess back to your original question of how do you work with distributors is advocacy is a tool, a resource to be used when you cannot speak the language, when you don't have the full masterclass sort of from zero to 100 of the full scope of what the brand is or the category. Mm -hmm. So I think we like to think that reps, in this case, you know, distributors, they come in and they're order takers and see you later and I'm gone. And I have seen that, but then there's other reps that are really hungry and working. And so there's this symbiotic relationship that you need to have and making sure that we are on top of them, making sure they're they're kind of doing their job. But for the most part, they're good. So long story short, if a rep is, you know, I am an order taker. I don't really know about the category of whiskey or tequila or whatever it may be. This restaurant says 
they want to carry your product, but they need a masterclass, they need to know how to use it, they need a cocktail class, whatever those classes are or education, that's what we're there for, you know, because I come in and, you know, one of the things that happened with COVID is we saw a big gap in, you know, the the masters or, or the people that had all the information and they kind of left. And these people are just coming up, which are just bartenders or young, hungry people, but they didn't get the right coaching. So we can't blame them for not knowing. So that advancement of coming up, the fact that we can provide that service is an additional resource. So we're a tool in their tool belt sort of thing. Absolutely. So I guess, yeah, that, that would be the way we can support the industry here. Like, hey, I have a bunch of new staff. We just opened. Any of those things we need education, that's what we're there for. Now, when it comes to discounts and pricing, we work directly with it. So everything is legal and, and works in, in a good sustainable system. But I think overall, it's it's that passion, that knowledge, and that education that we can bring as advocacy. Yeah, I love that. So what do you think you're looking for? Because you kind of talked about that now in potential brand ambassadors for your team, right? You have like, like just like you said, people are up and coming. Now you are you get to talk to so many people in the market. You might see like who's doing good things, who, you're, who you might like a little bit. And you're looking at this person, we might want to bring them on the team. Like what are some things that you see that stand out for people that you would want to pick them up and put them on your team? And then things that, <laughs> again, I love not. both sides, right? Yeah. Things that you'd want like stay away from because, oh yeah, it might not be the best for Yeah, us. and I, I guess I would say that I'm not, we are not always constantly looking. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, if there's an opportunity, but at the, at the end of the day, if we're not hiring, like what are you looking for really? Right. But I think the characteristics that we're looking for is, um, personally, I look for, I have an acronym that I use and it's called CHIPS. Um, common sense, hospitality, initiative, passion, and self-awareness. That's like the overall arching thing. And, and people have, you know, they might have their strong benefits are hospitality, but their initiative lacks or whatever it may be. So there's never this 100% combo. But I think just an overall standing person, male or female, doesn't matter. I think personally, I do look a little bit for that Latino just to continue, you know, it, you can't, sell champagne if you've never been to France. I mean, can we? Absolutely. But should we? Maybe not. I don't know. That's a controversial uh, statement <laughs> there. But I just think someone that I mean, can represent... Really I know, I know. <laughs> what, I mean, what I mean is like, the more you actually come from the land or visit the, the place of, of origin, the yeah. easier it's going to be for everyone and the more authentic. I think at the end of the day is authenticity. If for I'm sure. looking for someone that is authentic, they're not always performing and trying to be the best they they are. I think someone that's has a hustler mentality, and I don't mean that in a derogatory term, I mean that in someone that's hungry, mm. passionate, that wants to learn, that maybe doesn't have the years of experience of being a, a brand ambassador, but wants to learn. I much rather take a person with a blank slate or the new person, and same with my bars. I would love people that I've never bartended before, but want to learn, great. You're gonna start a bar back, you're gonna learn all the basics, because they don't have any negative tendencies already built into mm -hmm. them. And we know those bartenders or those people that, well, I've done it for years, so this is how I do it. Uh, that stubbornness is, is someone that, that's what I don't look for. I look for someone that's adaptable, um, that can quickly adjust and be solution oriented. Yeah, I love that. Um, that's interesting too, because you said you like to look for people with a blank slate. I feel like, did you work in sales before becoming a brand ambassador? 
The short answer is no. Um, I was a brand ambassador. So I always worked the hospitality industry. So right. worked all of those positions. And then I was working part time for <clears throat> a tequila company, Don Fulano, Fortaleza Arete, doing like those um, industry trips and kind of doing that. And since that was so small with a small distributor, yes, I was doing a little bit of sales and pitching, but I never went to school for sales or I never had that thing. So short yeah. answer is no, I didn't do right. sales, but it all revolves around selling. Right. If you don't sell, the restaurant doesn't stay open, the company doesn't survive. Like there's everything at the end of the day revolves back to sales. The way you do that, in my personal opinion, is by not talking about sales. I'm not going to sell you this $19.99, blah, blah, blah. It's just more by falling people in love with, we're storytellers at the end of the day. So can I tell you an amazing story that's authentic and real and passionate and you feel that to make you believe that, yeah, I do want to purchase this product or this food item or this cocktail, whatever it may be. Yeah, there's, God, there's a lot of good things in there, man. Uh, I just posted something the other day. I was like, I reshared something from Gary Vee that was like, storytelling is the most underrated skill in business. Yeah. And it's so applicable you know, to what we do, of course, because you know, on, the, on the spirit side for you and on the wine side for us, I mean, some of these regions are, you know, it's so easy. Because I'll, for example, I'll be on the market with some of our wines and we have you know, a lineup of wines and people are busy. I get it. Like sometimes say, if you're in a quick tasting, you're like, I like that actually sometimes. But yes, no, move on. But sometimes I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. That's like, a, let me tell you about that just really quickly, man. That's like came from like so far away in the world from like this little village north of Champagne with like 500 people with like six generations of winemakers. Like, yeah. hold on a second, man. Yeah. Like there's a lot of work that went into it. You know, it's almost yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes you got to balance that out. Yeah. Um, but that's really interesting. And, and I, I think a lot of times we hear too, or at least I've heard, um, especially on the wine side is, and this might be more applicable pre-COVID, um, but that, you know, you work in a certain position, you get up to being a sommelier and a slash wine director, and then typically the path was you go work, you need to work in distribution. I mean, I've even seen that on, on you know, job um, roles on LinkedIn that they're looking for, must have three to five years of sales experience working on the distribution side before you can become a brand ambassador for this winery, for example. Um, and that used to be the traditional role. And I think that there's been a couple of examples, again, at least on the wine side, that's like, man, that person jumped right into like a really dope position working for this amazing winery. They didn't work a day in sales. Right. Um, so I wonder if there's more of that happening now or not. Kind of like the COVID thing we we're talking yeah. about, right? Like, hey, we, we just need somebody in the door. <laughs> yeah. And I, I see this as, you know, and it's funny because we're, I'm doing not a study, but one of our brand ambassadors is kind of researching this right now is there is the ep epidemic not of covid but is there an epidemic of shortage of hospitality workers the short answer is yes and i mean hospitality i i bind that with sales i bind that with all of these things that we're talking about so i don't want to say hospitality is just the restaurant or bar i right. think what we do is hospitality for sure um so there's there's a shortage and i think again that that evolution of, of generation of are people still going out to bars and drinking are they getting more savvy and cooking and eating at home like we don't know and this is what we have to study but long story short i think brands and companies have probably opened their spectrum a little bit more because people are not going to college as much as they were you know when we our parents would tell us you know college degree is everything make sure you get it without it you're nothing mm. nowadays a lot of people it's, it's experience and how long have you been in the industry and yeah maybe you only got your associates or your bachelors or your ged but he's he or she is really good at it so I think there is a 
and I wouldn't say it's lowering our standards. I think it's opening our, our eyes and opening our visions to being more acceptable to people to learn. I think the also the main difference is as a company realizing, are we trying to sustain a brand or are we trying to create something? And having those two buckets will also change something. If you're trying to sustain a brand, maybe you do want those three, five, etc. year experiences. Maybe if you're creating a brand, you as a company, as a startup, maybe you should hire some startup employees that are first, you know, let's all grow together. Right. So I think it's a responsible thing for the company to say, we want to invest in our people and we know they're not there yet, but we are going to pay for their educational classes, for them to go back to school, whatever that may be for marketing lingo and bring them up with you. And that's what I think most companies are missing is not investing so much in their employees. All right, dude, investing in employees, that's a huge one. That's yeah. such a big one for you. And I've talked about this before, hopefully I don't sound like a broken record here, but like, that's such a, an important topic for me, and I think it's so important now moving forward for us. There's some guys that you know, I follow that are, or you know, that, sorry, I should say that I started out with in the industry that were always like the role models, like Paul Greco and Danny Meyer, and those old school hospitality guys Meyer. from New York, dude. And like yeah. their, their whole thing was always like, you know, they had their, their kind of their, their, their triage, their order of where to focus on. And it was invest in your people first, yep. invest in vendor, or excuse me, yeah, take care of your people first. And then by default, your people will take care of the customers, invest in vendors. Like you had this list of like five. And then at the very last, I think was the customer, because by that point, everybody's so good in their position that then by default, the customer would be taken care of. And I get really excited when I hear about people saying like, yeah, well, no, we're doing this for our people and we're helping, like just what you were saying earlier, like we invest in them, we invest in their education, we're doing things for them to help them grow. And I think that's super important, man. Like yeah. I saw some bullshit article the other day on New York Times it was like, companies are making uh, fluffier couches in Instagrammable workplaces. I'm like, is that where we're at? Is that, I, is yeah, that where we're it at? It might dude? be, that might have to be oh another episode. God, dude. It's, it seems oh. like versus like, it seems like such a cheap kind of dangling the you know little piece of cheese over here versus like no dude I'm actually interested in your growth yeah. as an individual and hopefully your future success versus like I'm going to beanbag on a foosball table over there I don't know it's a, it's an <laughs> it's funny you say that well two things I mean one thing it's it's that that fluff is is sort of the meme you know and, and mover and shaker it's like if employees are feeling burned out or tired it's like pizza party like just stick it in there like pizza right, you know. Right. Oh, you come into inventory. Here's a slice of pizza. Yeah, for you. <laughs> you know, so it's funny, but I'm really glad you mentioned Danny Meyer because one of the books that has changed me fundamentally is Setting the Table. 100. Mm -hmm. I think that book is so powerful. I still have it. I still I've read it. You know, three or four times throughout. You know, let's just pick it up again and refresh. And mm -hmm. we have to remind ourselves as well. You know, sometimes you you get comfortable or you get stagnant. And you need to develop. So. That book has, has changed me. I recommend it for anyone and everyone in the hospitality. It will change the way you think. And simple verbiage of, of hospitality and sort of, you know, what it is, is anticipating the guest needs and exceeding them in like magnificent ways and, and memorable ways. So simple verbiage changes. Customer, you said customer like me, I would correct you there and say guest. Like, let's mm -hmm. start thinking that as guests and right. little things like that. But but no, I... You know, as far as investing in your in your employees or or your people, I think that's that's very true. It's something we do at Casa Lumbre. Again, we have to remember that Casa Lumbre is a small company compared to these bigger companies. But even the bigger companies are doing it well. You know, Campari does Campari Academy. They you know have their employees. I don't know the full extent of it, but I know they invest in their employees. And and you know, you could see 
how they come off and how they are and they're so well versed whether that's um, bar smarts that's something that we've been offered at Casa Lumbre if you want to do it go for it we'll cover it um, you know some of our brand ambassadors are really good at photography or they want to get better photography classes why not you're only making their social and the ability to take better images for awesome. everything yeah um, so simple things like that um, we also you know we have a monthly book club now that we're doing as, as the advocates a team where we choose a book and we all read it or listen to it audible again you don't have audible don't worry the company will cover it for you to listen to this book if that's how you want to study it but we listen to this book um you know we haven't done setting the tables but we've done other books and we all come at the end of the month it's like what did we learn from it we're all now on the there's one topic that it clears up and it makes everyone better now for some people maybe they would have never picked this book or don't enjoy it as much but again it's learning how we each other work and the language you yep. know i think um you know the latest book we read was surrounded by idiots and basically it's a way of everyone has a color or a shade of colors um you know and you may be very red i may be blue and, and again the book goes into detail but how do i commit it's not that red is aggressive and assertive and there's negative and positive connotations to it but that's the way rafael speaks and don't take it personally when he talks to me a certain way or I need to go to his level to talk to him. So again, it was more of a team building and that was kind of one of the books we read, but those are the simple little things we can do to kind of help our, our, our niche category, our niche team to help them be better. And that's, that's what we're doing constantly every day. And do we have it perfect? No, but we're constantly learning and that's part of that feedback is how can I help you? What do I need to do to make you better? Yeah, that's so crucial. Yeah. Dude. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, of course. I hopefully that'll resonate with a lot of people because there's, you know, hopefully a lot of people too that are in management positions or leadership roles and that's such an important thing, man. That's how you obtain longevity, right? That's how you avoid yeah. turnover, I think. If yeah. you're if you're having those honest conversations with people, like I think we need more of that. There's so much BS in the world right now too. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of noise and not all of it's positive, you know. I think the place that you're investing a lot of your daytime hours um, in on something that hopefully you're passionate about, if you can have those conversations there, such a game changer, dude. We need, we need that, like, support each other and build each other out, man. That's the whole purpose of this That's whole thing. That's the whole thing, thing so, yeah. Um, cool, man. I wanted to um, move on to a couple other things. I know um, you, talk. we're talking about building brands, but you also have a really cool, I guess, personal brand of your own. I mean, at least on Instagram of what I follow and and... You take some great, are you taking all those pictures on there? No, man. Credit, you know, who the first person was, uh, Stefan Kerpinski, when he's still here Dude, in he's San Diego. He's amazing. Yeah. I, he's one of the people that inspired me to be better. The guy is a beast. I mean, in all aspects, the, the videos, the photography, the knowledge and, and that hustle mentality that we we're talking mm. about earlier. So, um, shout out to him. He helped me in my career. Um, and still does to this day. I mean, we support each other a long time, but he's uh, one of the photographers that most of those pictures you're seeing were, were him. He's now, you know, handling so much more. So, and yeah. he moved to New York, so not as much. Uh, but Johnny Ramos, I mean, he's a fantastic photographer. Uh, most of the pictures that you see are a mixture of Johnny cool. and, and, and Stefan. And of course, there's a couple here and there that are other photographers, yeah. but for the main part, those, those are my yeah, personal no, photographer. Stefan's awesome. We've actually interviewed him during COVID on, on okay. Zoom. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Um, shout out to him. He's such a good addition to, or I wouldn't even say it, like a driving force of the yeah, community, right? Absolutely. Um, 
But sorry, not to get sidetracked, but you, so you're doing all these things and it, it, you have, it's funny, man, because I've, I've, I'm trying to do things very similar in that way too, where you know, feature sommeliers and like I want to take cool pictures of them and kind of just to get them out there, just a little bit more exposure for these people. And I've seen a lot of the stuff on your page um, for a long time that's been that. Like you're posting these really cool pictures of bartenders, maybe in some of the different territories that you're in. Um, there's a thing that you were doing that's called Soy Latino and maybe it was like some a featured person with a yeah. product. Tell us a little bit more about that and then maybe like just kind of get heading into the community involvement that you guys are very active in. Yeah, definitely. I think for, you know, the personal page on, on social media, you're right. There is a lot of negativity. There is a lot of noise. Um, I try to contribute to the positivity and, and kind of changing that. So, you know, same how my mother would say, si no tienes nada bonito que decir, no lo digas. So if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it. That's the same thing with my posting is if you have nothing nice to post, don't post it. So sometimes you'll see me on quote unquote, you know, blackout weeks or days or whatever where I don't post anything. It's like, I don't have anything. If it's not authentic, I don't really want to post it. Um, you know, there's still a balance of being true to who you are, which I think I am, but it's, it's kind of posting that, that glamour, the nice, the positivity, um, even though there is a lot of background stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, so that's, that's for the personal page. I think, you know, it all revolves around Casa Lumbre, around me, you know, my whole thing is I'm a musician. So drums, um, I love motorcycles, you know, I ride quite a bit. And so how do you integrate all those things to have sort of a balance of you, of the brand and representation of Latino community? And that's what I also do. So with the Yo Soy Latino, with the O being an at symbol for it to be masculine and feminine and you know where we're at, I don't really like the Latin X thing and I don't mm. want to kind of get into that, but that's just my personal view. So I just put the O as an at symbol. So it mm. kind of represents both. But the Yo Soy Latino started because of Latin Heritage Month, I think, you know, we are the majority 100%, but also we are very underrepresentative of, of who we are as bartenders. Most of us are back of the house, we're the cooks, we're the farmers, we're the gardeners. And I think we need to start having a platform and we need to start having the same amount of um, visibility as other bartenders in, in the world. So my personal plan and a plan as a company in Casa Lumbre and advocacy team is to give the platform to those Latino bartenders, to females. I mean, there's a there's a shortage in female bartenders and female anything, to be honest. That's another thing we try to do. So if we can kind of get a Latina is the number one priority for me, especially coming from a family of single mothers and sisters. Um, and that's kind of like my ultimate goal, but obviously representing that community and Latino is so much more than just Mexican. And obviously we know there's a lot of countries on there, but if I can give a platform to someone to, you know, in a year to be that popular or have more opportunities to be able to travel and work in other countries and other of these best bars, then great. I have, I have done my job. And for me, the, what excites me the most, what gives me the most pleasure is seeing someone else grow. I mean, yes, I'm trying to grow on my own, but that's not what gives me the most pleasure. The most pleasure is to see those people around me like winning and, and really succeeding at life. That's what kind of gives me pleasure. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's where the Yo Soy Latino was. Last year, we did it really well where each week I was featuring a different bartender 
that was Latino, a little bit of their biography, a little bit of their story, and kind of showcasing them um, that might have otherwise not been showcased. Right. And now I'm starting to see the trend of right now Latinos popular. It's it's kind of funny, you know, whether that's because of um, pop music or or whatever that may be to kind of surround everyone is now wanting to speak Spanish, wanting to be Latino, visit Mexico. We're seeing what's happening in Mexico City and all that good stuff. Um, but again, how do we go back to authentic? How do we bring it back down to the people that are that are underrepresented? So that's that's sort of the goal. And um, you know, I'm seeing some other brands and some other companies kind of now tag along into the Hispanic or Latin Heritage Month, whatever you want to say it. Another term that's it's these verbiages that we need to adjust to. You know, Hispanic might I again I don't like it. I'm not going to get into it. Mm, mm-hmm. But Latin, that's where we need to be. Right, and right. Having these conversations. So. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, first of all, part two of this interview, we're going to have to do it in Spanish, for okay. sure. Okay, love it. <laughs> I did one before in Spanish. Actually, I think it went okay. I had Chef Claudia Sandoval. Oh, nice. Yeah, my tocaya, my last oh, name, my tocaya. God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that went pretty well, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad, so that would be awesome. But yes, you're right. There are these terms. I, I, I think that being careful as you kind of navigate these, these you know, it's it's very easy for society to hijack these themes of like we're going to do Latino you know Heritage Month and maybe are you guys doing it for like authentically or are you just trying to sell some things I don't I, I think there's a lot of instances of that where I'm like it's easy to see that you're just doing this to check the box versus like no this is this is part of actually our identity and what we do here so that's yeah. awesome man Absolutely. Um, so in that community outreach thing I, I kind of wanted to just follow up with that a little bit too because I feel like the bartending bartender scene is really good with events and community. You guys have like Tales of the Cocktail, like Bartender's Weekend, I think that started here in San Diego, mm-hmm, right? Like, yeah. And I look at these things, I'm like, man, I wish we had more things like that for the wine industry. We actually have SOMCON here in San Diego, which I think is like on year six or seven. Sorry if I got that wrong. Um, but that's great, but it's like once a year, one thing, you know, we don't have really too many things outside of that. And I kind of see a lot of the things and, um, you know, the schedules and things that they put out and to try to get ideas of what we can do similarly here. Yeah. Um, but do you guys participate in any of those things? And, and also, if you'd like, what, what are some of like the, the best things that you see out of these kind of community events that are out there? Yeah, definitely. So, yes, the short answer is we do participate. We have, you know, done Tales of the Cocktail. I, I will say that we throw we threw House of Fire, which was an amazing party at Tales of the Cocktail. Um, and, and we've done seminars and we've done other things. But, yeah, we participate um, in, in all of them. Unfortunately... Uh, with limited resources or limited budgets, we always can't do all of them. Even though we want to, we sometimes just can't. And and it's fine because the people that are organizing need to get paid. The people that are you know hiring these volunteers, like they need to get paid. So there's so many expenses that we don't see. Um, but sometimes it's it's out of our reach or out of our budget, and unfortunately we're tied up. So if I could do all of them, if they were all like, just come, bring your own setup, bring your juice and just pour, great, I would probably do more of them. But unfortunately, that's just not the way, everyone needs to, to make some sort of money. So right. um, so we do Tales of the Cocktails, we've done Bartender's Weekend, um, you know, we do uh, Sobe or the Food and Wine Festivals that uh, Food Network slash Southern Post. So we do a lot of those. And I think the best thing I see, I, and again, that consumer slash industry, something like Tales of the Cocktail, Barcom in Brooklyn, or any of the BCBs and um, Tales of the Cocktail, or did I already say that? Basically, Tales of the Cocktail, Barcom in Brooklyn, and Bartender's Weekend, what they all do is empower, educate, 
network, you grow your network, and I don't mean this network on, on an artificial, you now know my name, you know, but the opportunities that come out of there is what I've seen. I see people leave inspired, this next generation that we were talking about, or these younger that are just quote unquote starting in the industry, number one, kind of taste different products, knowledge is, is absorbed, and they come out inspired, and that's what helps them develop their next cocktail menu or helps them set their three, five-year plan of becoming a brand ambassador or being on this side of, of, the, um, of the spectrum. So I see nothing but positivity from these events. Um, you know, Tales of the Cocktail is what now on their 21st anniversary, mm. so I think it'll continue forever. Um, but there's also people that take it as... I'm going to go and party it up and just kind of get imbibe. Right. It's fine too. I mean, if that's what you want to do, but just know that there's always someone there that is watching that will remember. If you get over over intoxicated or something, you might be remembered as that person that got over intoxicated. And I never want to hire you because I saw how you got. So first impressions are everything, but also just they, they last. So that's what I always try to be conscious that there's always someone not watching, but just make sure you are the best version of yourself. And if you're not, if you're not feeling 100%, if you're not feeling social, if you're not feeling, you know, like not at your best, then maybe just don't go to that event. So that way people don't remember of why is that person grumpy or not talking or just being mean. If you're there, if you're over intoxicated or any of those negative, I would just suggest get an Uber and get out of there because you don't want people remembering it. <laughs> right, right. No, that's a great piece of advice. Um, I mean, speaking about drinking, we toasted to this at the beginning of the podcast. We didn't really talk yes. about it. So what do we have here? This I'm is Mave, So I need to pour some myself. So Almave um, is our newest launch for Casa Lumbre. Um, Ivan Saldana, our master distiller, um, cheers, is brother. a partner with, cheers, salud, um, is in, in a partnership with Lewis Hamilton. Um, but basically we wanted to create a non-alcoholic blue agave spirit. So all the non-alcoholics are there. They're mostly water-based. They're not using a raw material. Casa Lumbre, the fundamental Part of Casa Lumbre is exposing that raw material of Mexico, in this case, the agave plant, which we know very well. Um, but we get mature agave from Atotonilco, from the Altos of Jalisco. Um, once we do that, we roast it in brick ovens, the same uh, production techniques of mezcal or tequila, tequila in this case. And so we roast the mature agaves, we crush them. The part where the non-alcoholic part comes is that we skip fermentation so the sugars you know i won't get into it but we skip fermentation and then we distill several times and then that distilled product is now the blanco so we have a blanco expression coming out uh, early next 2024 and then we let that bagazo the fiber the agua miel sit in the distillate for for an amount of time that starts picking up those honey flavors the color this beautiful amber color mm -hmm. and now you have something that's completely natural that's using real agave um, sustainably sourced and with no alcohol. That's delicious. Which is great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Really I mean, you usually don't get that body or that flavor from something that is not from a raw material. So, what are you recommending that this can be used in lieu of, and like cocktails, or how are people preparing things with this? Yeah, so I mean, neat is great. I, if I could, one large cube, nice and easy. Um, but a carajillo works really well with mm. it. Um, a margarita is as well, old fashioned. So kind of anywhere you would use that tequila, yeah, you know, reposado tequila or whatever that may be. Um, but yeah, it's it's beautiful, man. By by 2026, I think this is going to be the number one non-alcoholic spirit in the world. Well, I'm sure. I'm gonna, I hope I hope you guys hit that. Thank you. 
and then we'll do another follow-up interview for sure. <laughs> In Spanish. Yeah, man, let's go. Um, I think that there's a big movement, too, of people moving towards non-alcoholic beverages as well, right? We're seeing very thoughtful, non-alcoholic cocktail options on a lot of menus. Um, more and more brands are coming out with you know, different takes on non-alcoholic beverages. What are some of the things? I'm sure you guys, obviously, you know, with the creation of this, there's a lot of analytics behind Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Why jumping into the market? What are you guys seeing? Yeah, we're definitely seeing that trend. Um, I think the younger generations are not drinking as much. Um, they are kind of in this health conscious world now. They also have so many other things at their disposal, at their fingertips that can, they can get imbibe we shall say uh in different forms but also the the purpose is substitution it's not so much of i never drink this is why i'm drinking it it's also moderating your drinks with an alcoholic or starting off non-alcoholic and going sort of back and forth with with moderation so i think we're just seeing the the trend of non-alcoholic category just booming and growing because people are just being more self-conscious of what they are putting into their body just mm -hmm. like everything else um, so yeah, I, I really love this and I'm loving that, you know, cocktail menus are now putting more emphasis on the non-alcoholic cocktails. Yeah. At the end of the day, I don't think we should call anything mocktail. That's a, again, another story for a different lifetime. But, um, but yeah, the fact that there's so much emphasis on non-alcoholic as much as alcoholic, we shouldn't focus so much of what is not in the product just more of the experience. And it's more about, like you said, community, inclusion. I don't need to know if you're pregnant or if you're on medication or anything, but the fact that you can confidently order something that is made with love and care as well as something with alcohol, and I can order it with confidence and not be like, by the way, this does not have alcohol. That's not the importance. The importance is the experience. I wanna be able to order something just as well as a cocktail. So really excited to bring this to life because I think it's the best non-alcoholic on the on the market it's definitely not a biased saying because i work for them i, I truly we we did a lot of research we mm. tasted a lot of things and this is unlike anything else so i'm super excited yeah it's exciting it, it's i mean it's definitely like you said it's a big trend i think people i think for for the better of the industry are kind of focusing on that as well it's we know long hours late nights a lot of drinking yeah. it's not very it's not a sustainable lifestyle for a lot of people and i think that's what leads to burnout um, of course I'm actually interviewing, having somebody on the show in a couple of weeks, so that's a completely focused on that, like a, an industry person that's focused on health and wellness, and she's crushing it, and I'm super excited for this. So I gotta, I'll definitely tag you on that one. Yeah. Um, cool, man. A couple other things. We've got to wrap up here shortly. I'd love to ask you, what advice would you give to young Cesar back on day oh, one, man. first job, moving into an ambassador position, knowing the things that you know now, yeah. What advice would you give to yourself? I mean, can I cuss in this? Yeah, oh, yeah, so I did earlier. Like, don't fuck it up. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> um, no, I, I the, honestly, I think my mentality, my ethics, my initiative, and all of those things that we talked about as well, I don't want to sound conceited by any chance, but I would just say keep, keep hustling, keep working, keep learning, and stay hungry. And I always say, love what you do, stay hungry, and stay humble. Simple as that. Those those three keywords. I think we. I came out of time with Abasolonista when you know we launched when the pandemic started. So everything mm. turned into this virtual mode of Zoom, of video calls, and all these good things and interviews through Zoom. And the human element, it, it was never there. It'll never be there through a digital camera or through any through any lens. And so I, I guess if I could have, I would have said 
study a little bit more electronics camera and kind of the stuff we're doing now because it's still now very much permanent and still very much going to exist in our lifetime yeah so that's what i said but um i would have just said the same thing you know stay hungry stay humble and be persistent with with what you're doing so yeah i, I mean short answer i love that yeah i'm also going to put you on the spot here i'm going to do one last thing that i haven't done before but i had heard this in other shows and i really like the idea i want to ask you if you want to leave a question for the next guest on this show Ooh. and then we will keep that in a certain rotation okay bearing in mind that one way shape or form they're connected to the hospitality industry whether or not they're on the beverage side like we are or they are have been in the industry forever and focusing on new things man that is on the spot now i'm trying to think of the question hmm and then we're going to just keep that we're going to keep that string going all right, I, I will keep it very simple and very uh, fun, and maybe, but it might not be related to the hospitality. But I think music is, is a part yeah, of me. Yeah. Okay, great. I would say last three albums in a CD that you listen to if you're stuck on an island. What are those three albums that you would choose? All right, keep oh, it this is gonna be good because this person's <laughs> coming on has a huge background in music. Okay, too. beautiful, perfect, awesome, cool, brother. I really appreciate your Amazing. time, man. Yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. Again, I, I always, um, I've always looked forward to doing this. I've always. We met, um, I think it was 2017 when I was working at Procero and just kind of mutual friends. I feel like we always, I got a good vibe with you, man. And yeah, I'm just same. really happy that we get to take this time and kind of chat about some things that we're obviously very passionate about. And we're both trying to do the best that we can and trying to grow and, and inspire other people. So yeah. I can't thank you enough for your time, no, brother. Man. And, and thank best you. of luck with everything moving forward. And hopefully we can do this again soon. Thank you, man. Cheers to you. And anything I can do to support you, Appreciate I will always do. Thank, thank you, you man. so much. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers.